Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello and welcome back to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. I am Megan. I am Lauren, of course. And I never know what to say right after that. Well, we're here. We're, we're doing it. Um, welcome to another week, another fascinating topic. Um, yeah. This this is going to be a juicy one, I think. It was definitely fun to research. It was fun to research and also really launches into one of our uh, spooky topics that is really not all that spooky, but people think it's spooky, but it's not. Right. Because, like, twins themselves, like, there's nothing, like, creepy about, like, being a twin. Um, but there there's just, like, some interesting things that twins do or are capable of doing um and just some weird like psychology around like pop culture and how they talk about twins and present Mm -hmm. twins and we're going to kind of uncover all of that today and we are i think this topic was beautifully suggested by lauren when i texted her and said what should we talk about and she said i don't know creepy twin stuff and i was like <laughs> great let's just roll with that yes. had you recently been watching the shining or no, something i think i okay. thought about it because recently um i think it was with the surveys we were asking like oh what do you guys want to hear about and somebody said something about like creepy kids and kids doing creepy things and i was just like like the shining twins (laughs) (laughs) great love it uh thank you whoever suggested creepy kid stuff i'm sure we're gonna do a lot more on creepy kids because as i previously mentioned i am obsessed with how weird kids can be Mm -hmm. um just like social norm wise because they have no idea what is and isn't appropriate and it sometimes comes out in hilarious and adorable ways where it's like you're just trying your best and it's wonderful and kind of spooky so we love it we love it we do yeah just quickly before we start as a reminder um please continue to complete the surveys it definitely helps with um sponsorships and we're grateful for that um and yeah continue to support us and rate and review and subscribe and if you want to become a patron that's awesome um we have a new patron katie mccarty Hey, Katie. Hey, Katie. Thank you for being a spooky peep. Um, you do have some things that you can do for your, your patron tier. So just message me back and, and we'll give a shout out to your business. Or if you have a certain topic that you really want us to cover, you can send us a suggestion for that as well. And we'll do it. Yes. So thank you so much for being a very generous patron. We appreciate having you. Yes. Um, for all of those, you know, people out there who are considering it, we're working on better Patreon rewards. But also, we've had many people in the survey indicate that they would like us to have better sound quality. Number one, agreed. It's gotten a we lot like better it. since the beginning. <laughs> but we got a ways to go here. Uh, so some of your Patreon money could be used towards better equipment in the future mm-hmm. and or maybe some editing classes for me oh, i'm literally idea. learning this off of youtube so yep. learning but there are some interesting things online that i may take advantage of at some point in the future uh i almost 
there was a book I wanted to get for this episode, but I was doing research at the laundromat yesterday and didn't think I had enough time, nor did I want to spend $38 on a Kindle version of some case studies, but also research materials yes. are things that your Patreon goes for, and our time. Yes, our our lovely time, so we can put extra effort into the podcast. Yes, but at the very least, our Patreon is currently covering the fees to host this podcast, so yes, we're not going into debt over it, which, which is, is a very nice. lovely, lovely situation. So thank you all for facilitating that. You're great. You're great. You're wonderful. We love you. You are our favorites. All right. So shall we dive in? We shall dive in. So I'm just going to start. Like... We went a lot of different directions, so this episode is just going to be different than our typical ones. We're a bit all over the place, uh, but really just talking about, like, twin phenomena that people perceive as creepy. Um, so I'm just going to start out with some fun facts about twins and general information. So for those of you who maybe are not as familiar with that... So basically, identical twins occur when one egg is fertilized by one sperm, and then that fertilized egg, as it's developing, splits into two different zygotes that turn into two different human beings. So that's what an identical twin is. So they have the same DNA, kind of. I'll get into that. So they basically start out with the exact same DNA, because mm -hmm. they're one egg, one sperm. Fraternal twins... Two eggs are fertilized by two different sperms, so they are developed at the same time, but are no more related than any other sibling because it's two separate eggs, two separate sperms. Um, and fun fact, actually, because fraternal twins are two eggs and two different sperms, it is entirely possible for fraternal twins to have two different fathers uh -huh. not only is it possible but two percent of fraternal twin pregnancies the babies have different fathers so crazy which and that so it's only what we know about because if the two fathers in question um are the same race and ethnicity maybe shared some similar features the parent may not ever actually know that the babies do have different biological fathers which is a fascinating phenomena, um, and I will say I know this is true because I have actually met a set of twins that had different fathers before and were different races. It definitely does happen. Interesting. Um, particularly since the fertile window can be so kind of big, like you could, you know, release two eggs a week apart and you've had sex with multiple people, then you could have different fathers for your babies. It does happen. Yep. And... It is also possible for twins to not be born on the same day. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, and of course, there's the case it's entirely possible. I don't know how uncommon that actually is, um, because, of course, it's possible to be in labor with your twins and deliver one twin at 11.55 p.m. and one twin at 12.05 a.m. Right. So that's, I think, the most common different birthdays i've actually met a set of twins that technically had different birth years because they were born just before midnight on new year's oh. eve and just after midnight on new year's day typically i think they just put the birth certificate the same day usually but it can happen but the longest known interval between deliveries is 87 days what yes 
Wild. Yeah. So I don't always know the specifics of how this is happening, but again, it's entirely possible for in a weird fluke of nature, typically women do not continue to ovulate once they are already pregnant, but maybe you could. It definitely has happened in the past, and so you can end up with twins with different delivery dates, and one gets a... I I believe they're usually... C-sec- I think twins are usually C-section anyways, at least in the United States, mm-hmm. but I think typically they remove the one that's ready and leave the other one in there to develop and then go take that one out a bit later. Yeah, Fascinating stuff. The human body is really amazing. Um, yeah, and so I, I'm curious to see more about what happened with the 87 days between delivery because yeah. that's baffling, but yeah, curious. Um but second-born twins are at a higher risk for health problems, including respiratory distress, neonatal trauma, and infections, oh. versus the firstborn twin, which is interesting. So it's healthier to be the firstborn, but it doesn't seem like it has any lasting impact on them. I think that's more right at birth. So it's in the birth order doesn't actually matter that much for twins, except for some health problems. Um... There's also a popular notion that if one twin commits a crime, they could frame the twin if they're identical and not go to prison for it. That used to be true, and there are many cases of it happening, but modern DNA testing can actually separate identical twins, which is really, really cool. So even though they start with the identical DNA, the things you go through in your life can impact which genes activate and which ones do not. Mm. So you will actually end up with slightly different things and DNA has gotten good enough to separate it out. So it's kind of the same reason, you know, identical twins can have different health concerns, can end up different heights, can end up different things, even though they started with the same DNA. Right. Yeah, I mean, I I guess, like, a less sinister version of that is, like, I definitely had known, like, twins in middle school and high school where, like, one would, like, pretend to be the other one so the other one could, like, not go to school or, like, take a test for, like, the twin or whatever. So I've definitely, like, seen that before. I have as well. I've known a couple twins that did that in high school. Um, I think the interesting thing is that typically if you know the twins pretty well you can tell them apart. oh yeah there's always differences with identical twin teachers who maybe don't pay the most attention may not right. notice or like if they're a new teacher or have like a large lecture hall class typically your friends and family can tell you apart pretty easily um so the woman who did kind of all of this research on these twin fun facts so when her last name is Seagal, she is a twin researcher and a twin herself. She's yeah. a fraternal twin. She, and she also talks about a bit about like the good and evil identical twins, which is just an offensive assumption, right. quite frankly, that there has to be an evil one. Um, Seagal believes that it is unlikely, um, like you hear a lot of stories that, you know, identical twins might pretend to be the other one and like cheat on romantic partners like I've heard some stories and she said probably not that likely because there's slight facial and physical differences there's personality there's different quirks that like presumably a long-term romantic partner 
would be able to tell the difference. I will say, you know, actually I have a friend of mine whose dad is an identical twin mm-hmm. and like he can tell his dad and uncle apart really easily because he grew up. I can't because I've only met them like once. Right. So typically when you know each other well, it's unlikely. Um, and also just fun fact, 25% of identical twin pairs have mixed handedness. So one twin is left handed and one twin is right handed. Mm. I don't really know what to do with that. I just thought it was interesting. interesting, yeah. Yeah, because that looks like that's actually higher incidence of left-handedness in twins than in the general population. Hmm. Fascinating stuff. It is. Again, not really sp- just interesting. I find twins fascinating. I always wanted to be a twin when I was a kid. I don't know why, so I find this all very fascinating. It is. It's cool. We have twins in my family, so... Um, we always like wondered like ooh like will we end up having twins when we try for babies. Does that idea terrify you? Yes. I Just think, like, like the thought of like taking care of two infants at once is horrifying. <laughs> right. Like not that people have done it, it turns out totally fine. I think I've heard from most people when you find out you're having multiples, it's like a mix of being happy and also scared because like taking care of a single infant it's like scary. is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> taking care of us I mean any I think for most for most parents, like it's scary. It's nerve wracking. Um but the idea, I've actually had dreams my entire life that my first pregnancy is twins. They started when I was a little kid, so you never know. I will be interested to see if that happens or not. I have a rare eyesight that is common in twins, where several times, like, when I've gone to the eye doctor, they've, like, asked me, like, are you a twin? And I'm just like, no, not that I know of. Um, but my aunts, who are twins, were in a medical book. Um, because of their eyesight that I guess like I have two where back in the day they thought they were going blind Um, Mm -hmm. but it was just like something that happens in twins I guess interesting Mm -hmm. and also another interesting uh, fact about twins I don't have research I don't have the statistics it's just something I happen to know it's not uncommon for twins to be twins and then the stronger twin absorbs their twin Mm -hmm. in the womb so sometimes there are twins and then there aren't so who knows maybe you have that condition because you absorbed your own twin it's possible it could be two and one two and one and also the interesting thing is that uh the absorbing of the twin can lead you to have two different DNA strands. So there are actually people who have given birth to babies that are not biologically theirs, even though it was their eggs and their sperm, because some of their eggs had the twin they absorbed in the womb's DNA and not theirs. So they're actually not, they're like technically their child's aunt, not mother. Weird. Uh, which is super weird. Of course they are their mother, like, 100%. Right. It's just a biological DNA difference, which is just fascinating. So mm. there's also been t- cases of people, like, getting different testing done and realizing, like, that their blood and semen had different DNA because of that, or, like, their eggs did. So it's a fascinating, weird. fascinating thing. Very strange, very unusual. Very, very unusual. So um, this one's pretty common. Twin telepathy, which I'm sure we've all heard of. Um, 
Lauren, do you think that twin telepathy is real? Yes or no? I think so. I, I mm-hmm. think it's I think it's one of those things where like if you're close enough to a person, you're more sensitive to like their energy in general. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's lots of different kind of ideas of twin telepathy. So some people think that twins can actually telepathically hear each other's thoughts and communicate some which uh, they say that it's a bit more common in identical twins versus fraternal twins. Basically, a lot of the research indicates that twins, number one, know each other really well. Particularly if they were actually raised together, they do know each other. They raised, grow up at the same time. They've been together, I mean, since they were conceived. It's been the two of them. So they spend so much time together, but also with identical twins because they have, you know, effectively the same DNA. There's minor differences, but overall they u- they say that because their brains are usually wired in very similar ways, they're much more likely to just connect information in the same way and have unique similarities that could appear to be telepathic in nature. Um, so Nancy Seagull, our pr- Permanent twin researcher that we've already talked about who is a twin herself says there's simply not any empirical proof at this point that twins have ESP so that's extrasensory perception or that twin telepathy exists in its it's twin myth conceptions is her book um, she says that anecdotes about twin telepathy are a reflection of the loving caring bond between the two and that they can just read each other really well um, yeah I can imagine and- that Yeah, absolutely. And so some of the evidence she uses to back up kind of that idea that twin telepathy in like a psychic sort of way doesn't exist is that in cases and twins were raised separately, have similar clothes and tastes when they did meet, that is more likely to reflect the genetic component of personalities and interests. Um, But she says she's totally willing to re-examine in the future. And there are so many cases of twins that have never met, like the gyms who are identical twins, separated at birth, never met, like, married a woman with the same name, then divorced her, then had a second wife with the exact same name as the other one, and then had kids that they named the same, and the same type of dog that they named the same, but they didn't know that they were a twin. Weird. Which kind of indicates that if they really were telepathic, they would know, but they didn't, but their lives turned out the same. So it could also just be a reflective the genetic component plus the strengthened bond. Right. Um... That being said, I have some stories. Yay! Because, I mean, I, I think it's one of those, it's an interesting idea. Um, and you, you know, can kind of make up your own mind. I think the thing is, like, I have some similar kind of stories like this um, with my own brother. My brother and I are not twins. We are 17 months apart in age, but definitely had several instances of like, we can tell what the other one is thinking. We make the same joke at the same time. We've had the same dreams on the same night, Mm -hmm. but we're not twins. So it could be more of like, we're just close siblings. So again, shared bond. We have similar DNA, even though we're not twins. It can happen with regular siblings too, Mm -hmm. but some of these are just interesting. Um, This one is from someone on Reddit, Teddy underscore, that's my name. (laughs) When I was nine, my identical twin sister and I were sitting out on our front 
lawn right by the road pitching acorns across into our neighbor's yard. A wholesome activity, throwing acorns with your twin siblings. We saw a motorcycle coming down the road from very far away. We looked at each other and said, it's going to crash. There was no reason for us to think this, but for some reason we were both positive of this fact. We raced onto the porch and grabbed the telephone so we could call for help. Just as we came back out, the motorcycle crashed in the exact spot we had just been sitting in. We would have been killed had we stayed there. The guy on the bike was okay. What the hell? I say, he was able to drive away. Still, I can't explain this weird shared phenomena. Which, again, we cannot verify that all of these are true because they're stories from random people on the internet. Entertainment purposes. But also with that, like, there are so many cases of people, twins or not, correctly identifying a tragedy is about to occur and, like, evading the situation, which is really an unexplained psychological phenomena. Right. So, interesting. Glad that they were both okay. Um, my, from not underscore the underscore son that's son with two n's uh, or two u's my sister and i are identical we live about 10 miles apart and one night i was experiencing sleep paralysis me too just had sleep paralysis hate it you'll hear about it in a future episode um during the dream my sister shook me awake and we talked for a half hour before we finally calmly fell asleep the next morning, I woke up and started talking to her and realizing that she wasn't ever with me that night. She was at her own house. Instantly, she calls me and tells me she had a weird dream that she woke me up from sleep paralysis and talked to me for a half hour before I went to sleep. What? Weird. Very. Very, very weird. Um, then... It's from It's Time to Move. I am 100% sure that my mother has it with her twin. I recall multiple times growing up when my mother would stand up, walk to the phone, and pick it up before it rang because my aunt was calling. That's one I heard in a lot of stories that you can tell when they're about to call you. Yeah. Uh, I I also remember vividly when my mother was doubled over in pain for no reason at all. She said, find out where your aunt is. Something happened. Called my cousin. She was... He said she was on a backcountry horseback trip. We found out she fell from a cliff with her horse. The horse crushed her leg. Um, sounds like she was okay from this. He said it's impossible to play games with them, though. I'm sure some of that is due to their inabil- to their ability to read each other's body language. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So again, like some of these, a lot of twin sets do have stories like this. For our listeners, if you're a twin and you have stories with us, Send them to us, please. We would love to read them. That's interesting. Um, Where, again, it's like, is it, you know, because especially, like, identical twins knowing when the other one is calling them, is it because they're, you know, telepathic? Is it because they think the same way? Can you feel each other's pain or not? Like, does, you know, psychic abilities actually exist? We really don't know at this point, but it's cool to think about because it could be genetic and body language or it could be something else. Yeah, but very interested in hearing those stories if you have them. (laughs) Please tell us. Tell us. All right. Um, So the next thing that I think a lot of people have heard about when it comes to twins is twin language so the more official name for it is cryptophagia so this is a greek word and it combines secret and speech 
Um, so when you think of cryptophagia, you think of twins kind of speaking to each other in their own language and they seem to understand each other. Um, so basically, um, the thought behind it is the twins in early childhood develop this and only speak with each other in this way. Um, invented languages spoken by very few people are also referred to as autonomous autonomous <laughs> languages or idioglossia. Um, so there's, there's a couple different things that kind of fall under this umbrella. Mm -hmm. So the thought behind it is because twins spend so much time together from birth and because their mental and linguistic development is so in sync, they're especially likely to invent their own language to the exclusion of everyone. So parents, peers, you know, just other people in their lives. Cryptophagia is thought to occur amongst 50% of twins, um, both identical and fraternal. So <laughs> a theory behind this is that one of the children will mispronounce a word, but because the twin can understand it, the mistake is more likely to be reinforced. And then in turn, they just hmm. keep using it and saying it. Yeah, something that I came across in some research I did was actually talking about how twins have slower language development okay. than non-twins, which they really accredit to, like, your parents being tired from taking care of sure. two same-age children and, like, maybe not being able to give you the individual, like, what is this called? What Like, that sort of scaffolding that a lot of parents do with it are kind of doing it in a group setting. Mm -hmm. So their language is a bit more slowly developed but it would make sense that if they can understand each other they might be less likely to do that and again i've even known non-twin siblings that have had this happen where like the younger twin really doesn't know where or the younger child doesn't know words but the older child understands what they mean so mm -hmm. we'll like translate to the parents Right. And it's it's one of those things where, like, if it was just a child and their parent, there'd be kind of a need of, like, oh, I need my parent to understand what I'm saying. So they would, like, change it to fit mm -hmm. the way that they're supposed to say things. Whereas, like, if you have somebody that understands you, you know, no matter how you're saying something, there's really no, like, pressure to say things the right way. It's like, oh, well, this mm -hmm. person understands me, so I'm not going right. to change yeah. So um, I have a couple stories that I thought were kind of cool. Um, so the first cryptophagia story I wanted to share with you guys is um, the story of Grace and Virginia Kennedy. So this is the first um, time this was ever researched. Um, so a lot of the cryptophagia research began with Grace and Virginia. So researchers started studying them in 1977 when the girls were six years old. Um, so they came from a German and English background, but the language that they used with each other didn't fit German or English, um, but they did understand both um, and, and would respond to it or, you know, seem to understand what like a parent or researcher was saying. Um, occasionally they would speak English to adults to request something. Um, so it would be a little bit broken up, like they would say things like want water or want juice, um, but they were able to do it. Um, in their research, they noted um, that they called each other Poto for Grace and Kamanga for Virginia. Um, and it's just interesting because I can kind of understand like 
Kamanga for Virginia because right. it kind of sounds the same, but like Poto for Grace is like I don't know. It's I was, just interesting. I was thinking that too, like Kamanga Virginia. I can uh, understand, especially since children cannot always like I know I had like a very obscure nickname from my older sister that I think just came out of like kids speak and not being able to say things quite right right but like so Kamanga for Virginia I can kind of see Poto like it doesn't sound like like that's gotta be more part that's like more of a purposeful language thing not just like a normal kid mispronunciation yeah so that was like something that i thought was interesting where like i've I've heard kids try to say somebody's name that was like a little bit more complicated and they can't really say it so they'll kind of say something that Mm -hmm. sounds like it um but yeah the poto for grace i was like what um so yeah i'll keep going but anyway Um, So a little bit of their background is their father was um, an unemployed accountant and he had been referred to a specialist because he told the state unemployment office in response to just routine questioning that his daughters were not in school because they could not talk to others. So up until they were referred to the San Diego Children's Hospital Speech, Hearing, and Neurosensory Center, the girls did not attend school or spend time with other children. Um, so you can kind of see how it was really reinforced, like, amongst mm-hmm. themselves to keep this language going. Well, especially if they were not around other children. Mm-hmm. Again, there wasn't the need to stop doing this to, like, relate to others. Exactly. Um, also, just kind of something that's notable is both girls had a sister of seizures as infants, um, I want to say it went on for a few months, um, so I don't I don't know how that would have messed with language development, if at all, but kind of worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, so what the children apparently did, and this is what the speech pathologists and linguists were able to determine as they're researching this case, is they were able to latch on to English and German sounds they heard spoken around them. And reshape the familiar noises into words of their own. So it took the researchers months of listening to the children's voices, sometimes replaying tapes again and again before certain words began to make sense. Um, so some examples of that are like pin it meant finished, which kind of understand. Gimba meant camper. Buddha mm-hmm. meant butter. They can kind of understand that. Yeah. The girls could pronounce words quite differently from one moment to the next, which made understanding it even harder in the research. Um, So speech pathologists worked with them to use the English language when speaking with others, but also hoped, too, that they would be bilingual, that they would be able to hang on to their language that they developed. Mm -hmm. Um, So some things to kind of, like, think about, like, just with this case or just twin language in general is you know, it it, does it really depend on socialization and how much socialization they have outside the home and with other children? Um, You know, does reinforcement play a role? You know, how much are parents reinforcing that they speak English or whatever language is the primary language in the household? And, you know, is it even a bad thing if if twins are doing this and having their own language? Um, so, I mean, what do you think, Megan? I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. 
cartoons to have their own language yeah. as long as they can communicate needs and emergencies to people who don't know it. I think those are the key things, right? Like you don't want your child to have language and be unable to communicate with you if like one of them fell and is bleeding or like there's something negative happening. Mm -hmm. Like those they should be able to do, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. And I'm guessing socialization like lack of socialization with other children would really do that actually some of the stuff that i saw specifically talked about with twins how it's so important to make the effort to have them around other children because i think again the exhaustion of having multiples especially if you have other children as well can lead people to not be around not do as yeah. much socialization so like socialization, oh they have like a built-in friend we don't need to go hang out with other kids like, which is great but you do yeah like kids do need to be around other children they as learn much from as each you other can. yeah i mean obviously with the pandemic things are different right mm -hmm. so as much as is reasonable given the circumstances um but it is good for them yeah yeah, no, I agree. What do, you, what do you think about twin language? I, I think that, you know, I kind of mirror what you're saying about, like, being able to communicate things, especially in cases of an emergency. Um, that's, like, the most important thing. I think it's okay if they have their own language or their own way of doing things, but I think it's just important that they're able to differentiate that, like, okay, other people can't understand you when you say it like that, so you might not get your needs met. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I agree. I think socializing your kids is super important, um, especially if you do have concerns about them, you know, kind of speaking their own language um, and wanting to work on their language development. You know, just being around other kids really helps kind of shape that a little bit better. Um, so, yeah, so that was like the first time it was ever researched. So I guess a more dark story that I found that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, I was hoping you were going to talk about this one because it didn't oh, fit yeah. with what I was doing, but it is a fascinating case. It's very interesting. Um, so this case um, is called the Silent Twins. So there were these two girls, June and Jennifer Gibbons. Um, they were born in 1963 and grew up in Wales. Um, so they are daughters of Caribbean immigrants, Gloria and Aubrey Gibbons. And, of course, they were twins. Um, they were inseparable. And their language at first started out as this kind of sped up Bahan Creole. Um, so it made it difficult for people to understand them, but it was based in like an actual language. Um, so where they lived um they were the only black children in the community so they found themselves to be ostracized at school um and this ended up being traumatic for them um eventually it caused their school administrators to dismiss them early each day so that it might avoid bullying which mm -hmm. is sad and like doesn't really fix the issue like at all no. um but anyway so it, this ended up reinforcing their own language to the point where no one was able to understand them at all um, and you can understand how, like, they wouldn't want to, like, reach out and communicate with other people because they're constantly getting this feedback that, like, talking to people isn't safe. Mm -hmm. um, so eventually, the twins became increasingly reserved um, and eventually spoke to no one else except each other and their younger mm -hmm. sister, Rose. Um, the girls continued to attend school, although they refused to read or write. 
1974, um, a medic administering vaccinations at the school noted their impassive behavior um, and notified a child psychologist because they were really worried about just like their lack to lack of communicating with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were sent to boarding schools and I, I want to say they were sent to like separate boarding schools. Um, and it was an attempt to break their isolation. Um, but what ended up happening is they became catatonic and entirely withdrawn when they couldn't be around each other. Hmm. So at a certain point, you know, they were allowed to be together again. Um, So in their teenage years, they ended up experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And in 1981, the girls ended up committing a number of crimes. So um, some of the big ones that happened were vandalism, petty theft, and uh, a number of arson um, cases that happened. Um, And this ended up leading them to um, somewhere called Broadmoor Hospital. And from what I understand, um, this is a psychiatric facility that was, like, pretty hardcore at the time. Um, So it was a high-security mental health hospital, and the twins were sentenced to indefinite detention under the Mental Health Act in 1983, which is, like, nuts. So they remained at Broadmoor for 11 years. So what ended up happening um, is the girls you know, because like they were so close and they kind of had like this complicated and oftentimes unhealthy relationship, especially with, you know, committing crimes together and stuff like that. Um, they had this agreement that if one died, that the other must begin to speak and live a normal life. Um, and during their stay in the hospital, they began to believe that it was necessary for one of them to die, which, you know, really unhealthy thinking. It kind of gives us a glimpse into just their psyche there. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this reporter that found them fascinating and would spend time with them and interview them. And her name was Marjorie Wallace. And I found um, some quotes uh, in an NPR article here that I wanted to share um, where Marjorie shares. Uh, Jennifer said, Marjorie, I'm going to have to die. And I sort of laughed. I sort of said, what? Don't be silly. You're 31 years old. You know, you're just about to be freed from Broadmoor. Why are you going to have to die? You're not ill. And she said, because we've decided. At that point, I got very, very frightened because I could see that they meant it. And then they said, we have made a pact. Jennifer has got to die because they said that they said the day that they left Broadmoor, the day that they were free from the secure hospital, one of them would have to give up their life to really enable the other one to be free. So apparently what happened was the car came to fetch them. And this is the day they were supposed to be let out of the hospital. Jennifer hadn't been very well the night before. And they turned and they looked at the green gates at Broadmoor. It had big green gates. And as they closed, Jennifer slumped over on June's shoulder. She fell into a coma. Why the staff didn't do anything on the way, I don't know, but they drove to down to Wales. Jennifer was taken and laid on a bed in the hospital. By 6.15 that night, she'd been taken into as a casualty and she was dead. June had gone to visit her straight away afterwards and laid a red rose on her. I felt absolutely devastated. I felt chill. I felt so intensely sad. 
So yeah, that is a story of the silent twins. Um, just a very complicated case in like a really like unhealthy, like unmeshed, enmeshed relationship. Yeah. And I want to say that I saw somewhere that like June went on to just like get married and have a family and live a totally normal life after that. Right. Which is like, it's just so weird that they felt like they couldn't live that type of life if like the other one was alive that the mm-hmm. other person being them being alive like prevented them from like thriving yeah because um, i mean in reality like as healthy people we know that they could have lived normal lives and like coexisted and maybe they just needed like some boundaries or mm-hmm. more positive people in their lives but they really convinced themselves like oh no like one of us has to die then mm-hmm. so it's just like such a crazy story that really is and there's yeah. so much of just unknown yeah like what happened how did she die like i don't i don't think they know completely just that she did just willed herself yeah interesting um so now uh gonna talk about another uh type of twins which is conjoined twins um and conjoined twins are very interesting we're also going to talk about some ethical concerns with as far as this goes um Conjoined twins are basically two babies that are born physically connected to each other. They develop when an early embryo only partially separates to form two individuals. Um, So they develop from the same embryo. They're physically connected, most often at the chest, abdomen, or pelvis. They may share one or more internal organs. So two separate babies that are born with their bodies. They just didn't, like, fully separate into two individual babies and so it's two babies one body or two bodies that are connected in some way there's lots of different ways it can happen conjoint twins occur once in every 50,000 to 60,000 births which is actually more frequently than i would think yeah um approximately 70 percent of conjoined twins are female and the huh. vast majority of them are stillborn, which does make sense of why you don't hear about Because 50 to 60,000 births is a high percentage, but it does make sense why you wouldn't hear about it mm-hmm. as much. Because the majority do not survive, unfortunately. Right. Um, and approximately 75% of conjoined twins are joined at least partially in the chest and share organs with one another. Interesting. So... Um, Just some interesting things, like, psychologically. So these twins, Krista and Tatiana Hogan, so they are in Canada. They are, I think, 15 now. They are still alive. I did check, and they are alive, which is great. A little happy one. But they are a very interesting set of twins. Because, like I said, a lot of conjoined twins will share organs to a different variety. And Krista and Tatiana are actually connected at the skull, Oh. Which is the rarest form of conjoined twins. Usually it's like the hips, the chest, something. They're actually conjoined at the skull. That's complicated. I don't know how they would be able to move on their own. They actually walk quite... I watched some videos and they're very coordinated. So one of them has control of three legs and one arm. The other has control of three arms and one leg. 
Like, are they attached at the top of their head or the side of their head? They're s- the sides, so, like, they're oh, looking Oh, I was they're imagining it in... as the top of their head. I was like, oh, my no, God, it's... how would they walk? Okay. It's kind of the sides, so they're looking in opposite directions. Got and so it. They, okay. They're kind of facing away from each other a bit, like the side back. Um, but what's particularly interesting about them is this is kind of a first in the history of medicine and perhaps it's entirely possible that this has happened before but now medicine has enabled us to keep them alive so we know about it um but their brains are actually connected so they have a thalamic bridge um which shows up clearly in brain images taken of the two this connection, which they have a massive amount of connected skull and other tools, so, like other tissue, they absolutely cannot be separated. They, they, they would not survive. Right. But the special way that their brain is connected actually enables them to experience what the other experiences. So they have a sensory crossover, which has never been seen before. I watched videos. It is really freaky like the mom was showing one of the girls a stuffed horse covered the other girl's eyes and says what am i holding and the other girl goes a horse like she can actually see through her sister's eyes um that's mind-blowing right and so one was anderson cooper um in an interview they had uh, krista have some ketchup which she loves but Tatiana hates ketchup, oh. and as soon as Krista started eating ketchup, she like made a dis- Tatiana made a disgusted face oh. because her sister was eating something and she could taste it. Um, and they have like and and because they're facing away from each other, they can't actually see like it's not like they can see out of the corner of their eye what the other one is seeing. Right. So it's definitely in the brain. Or they had it when a reporter tickled Tatiana's foot. And then Krista started laughing, but she didn't, she could not have seen, and they didn't tell her that that's what happens. Um, The family, it just totally accepts that this is a thing, because they've seen one girl laughing at a TV show that only the other one can see, because of how they are. Uh, So yeah, it's like a medical first that they can actually see what the other one is seeing. It's unclear at this point in time if they can hear each other's thoughts, but they think that they can actually communicate solely in their brain and don't need to speak because of the fact that their brains are connected. So it's unclear if they can hear thoughts, but they can actually see through each other's eyes and have so much much shared nervous system in the brain. Yeah, the information's all being shared. Yeah, so they can feel what the other one feels. Wild. Um, Which is interesting. And so here... Here's some of the ethical concerns with conjoined twins, um, which gets heavily into disability rights, which is a topic that I am very, very passionate about. Um, So this was a famous case in the UK um, because conjoined twins may or may not be able to survive with one another. And so in a lot of cases, when surgical separation is pursued, one or both of the twins die. And um, and also, if one conjoined twin dies and you don't immediately separate them, the other one will die. 
um, just because um, there's one case which I'll talk about a bit in a bit but one of them died and they tried to convince her to separate and she refused so she ended up dying of blood poisoning oh. because she was shared a body with someone who was deceased and so her to yeah. yeah so you will die of blood poisoning if you share a circulatory system so you'll have to like there's a lot where you kind of can't um unless separation occurs it's they're either both alive or both dead and there's not really any leeway there Ooh, um, okay this is a very famous case the jody and mary case so british courts ruled in favor of doctors separating twins even though it ensured that one of the twins would die immediately so basically with the way that these two girls were conjoined they um both were using one of their hearts it was one heart for both bodies and within 10 days of delivery the heart was showing signs of stress Okay. And being unable to support two bodies. And so the doctors wanted to separate. It was a big legal thing. Sounds like the parents were kind of not necessarily pro this because it ensured 100% that one of the girls would die. Um, so the court legally viewed Mary as a parasitic twin because she okay. was utilizing Jody's organs in order to survive, which is a huge ethical issue. So what the judge, this is direct quotes from the court where they said, Mary has always been fated for an early death. This is from senior judge, Lord Justice Ward. Though Mary has the right to life, she has little right to be alive. Um, she what? is only alive because, to put it bluntly but nonetheless accurately, she sucks the lifeblood out of Jody, and her parasitic living will soon be the cause of Jody ceasing to live. See, Jody... I even like hate that phrasing of like parasitic. Yeah, the phrasing makes me violently uncomfortable. Quite yeah. frankly, um, Jody is entitled to protest that Mary is killing her. The best interest of the twins is to give the chance at life to the child whose actual bodily condition is capable of accepting the chance to her advantage, even if that has to be the cost of a sacrifice of a life. Um, I am... Like, if you could see my face right now, it's, like, disgust. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's saying, I am left in no doubt at all that the scales come down heavily in Jody's favor. So it actually did, they did eventually come down and separate them. Um, that's what the courts decided. Jody did, Jody is still alive. She's 14. She's doing very well. Is she? Uh, Mary died instantly Jesus. as soon as they were separated. Okay. Um, Mary's name uh, was actually Rose. The parents had a second daughter a couple of years later, named her Rosie in memory of her older sister who had passed away. Wow. Um, uh, and Jody wants to become a doctor. I forget oh. what her real name is. Jody and Mary were in the court case, like to use their protection, but they unsealed it eventually. And so this brings up problems. <laughs> problems. Uh, because on one hand, there was there was no way for them both to survive but on the other hand they're both people and so this is where it gets really like 
I can see why people would say, like, I can understand the argument that ethically they're both human beings. Right. And it's cruel to conduct a surgery that will kill them. I can also understand the argument that it's one of them dying versus both of them dying. It's such, like, an ethical dilemma. Like, it reminds me of, like, a philosophy class. Yes. And this is really what it comes down to is legally... Are conjoined twins, legally and ethically, are they one person or are they two people? Right. And this is massively, and again, this is where it gets into disability rights because they are born, you know, technically with a disability, with a condition they have no control over, right? They were born conjoined. That right. That's just how it happened. Um, and so... Basically, there is a huge push to view conjoined twins as needing to be separated immediately, though they may not survive surgery with all of their vital organs intact. Uh, most So some more stuff. Uh, I read medical ethics journals to get some of this. So had a fun time researching Tea. this. Spill um, it. So <laughs> this is... Like, with the research, they're talking about bodily autonomy and people having the right to involuntarily, involuntary markings, like tattoos, piercings, and everything, right? You have a right to determine what happens to your bodies. Yep. But they're saying, since most separation surgeries are performed on conjoined infants, with the notable exception of the Bajani sisters, uh, they decided to become separated as adults and both did end up passing away, but they were oh. adults that made the choice to be separated. Okay. Most of these surgeries appear to be clear cases of involuntary marking, at least for the patients themselves who are too young to be consulted. So they're deciding to separate without the consent of the infants. They have no choice in it because a lot of times they're separated very, very young. Interesting. Okay. Um, so... Like, separation surgeries are intended to normalize bodies, that is, to take bodies that are deemed to be naturally inferior to other bodies, and to transform them so that they can be unmarked in their conformity to the non-conjoined bodies of other members of society. Ooh. Right? Because I do, like... I can imagine that it would be psychologically... There are certain psychological complications to being conjoined right. to a different a human being. A little distressing, you know, it's um, not as common, so people may react to it in, like, a unusual way or a way that's shaming. And I just mm -hmm. want to take a second, too, and, like, say this. Like, I know, like, the title of, like, this episode is, like, oh, like, creepy twin things. Like, that's more, like us being like funny and like silly like we don't think conjoined twins are creepy so i just no. want to go on the record and say like if you're a conjoined twin there's nothing wrong with you oh you know we're not you know we're not being like ableist or anything like that i just want to clarify that really quick right absolutely and i think you know disabilities rights like i said is a huge thing that i've been passionate about for a long time and I mean, number one, I'm not a proponent of non-life-saving or surgeries on young children who can't consent. Like, of course, if you have a medical problem and need a surgery, like a tonsillectomy, if you have, you know, tons of it, like, right, like, if you need surgery for a medical reason, then fine. But some of this, like, 
to what is the real ethical drive in separating right is it to make everybody twins? else feel comfortable or is it truly for them and it's also it's people who don't understand what it's like to be in a conjoined twin making the call right about it when it's like you don't really know and a lot of conjoined twins who become adults have like from what i've read a lot of them are against separation they they don't want to be separated because like their whole they've been together their whole lives and so some do some don't but there's a big difference between i think it's a decision that adults or older conjoined twins could absolutely make but not infants and obviously if there's some pressing medical reason for separation then maybe it's something the parents should consider and i'm saying maybe because i don't know right and it's hard to know like you know we've never been in this situation of like this is my baby and like what do i do here you know right and in that but in that case like if there's no medical danger then what is the push is it to make it easier for the parents it's because you perceive it easier um in a sense it's almost uh similar to uh certain debates um with other surgical things for uh disabled individuals such as cochlear implant surgery which is typically done on infants which is brain surgery uh where they implant electrodes into your brain the brain of a deaf child to basically there's a computer thing that you can put on um out there so that you can hear you still have to learn it's not the same as hearing but there's also a debate on is it even ethical to give an infant brain surgery that's not sure. life-saving so they can hear and is that really for their benefit or to make it easy like easier for them to for fit everybody in everybody else yeah for everybody else versus like or you could just all learn sign language and not get right. brain surgery so there's and there's also with cochlears um since it cuts out your ability to hear naturally they'll automatically lose any ambient noise hearing that they can get so there's a huge mm. huge debate for a lot of different disability related surgeries because honestly it's interesting twins, to talk yeah, about Conjoined twins are just twins that are born in bodies that are not exactly what we should suspect, but that doesn't mean that they need to be separated. It doesn't mean they're not monsters. They're not an abomination. They just were born differently. They were born with a different type of body. And And maybe instead of like putting them through like a life threatening surgery, we could teach our kids and society to be a little bit more kinder and accepting Mm -hmm. of like, okay, yeah, their body doesn't look like yours, but who cares <laughs> like like okay that like yeah you they might need to buy clothes differently or you yeah. may need a really good seamstress to make yeah. it work but like does that mean they really need to be separated um so even this article um my stuff got that's okay um goes into another even just like some quotes to see how people um view this or Twin boys begin new lives after successful separation. It's the author's emphasis. So this all is from the article. Clinical ethics, one into two will not go conceptualizing conjoined twins by M.Q. Bratton and S.B. Chetwind. Um, so just want to make sure I give them credit for their work. They did a great job. Um, so the report describes the father's and doctor's reactions to the surgery as follows. 
the boy's father, Ibrahim Muhammad, fainted when he heard the operation was over. So this was to separate his conjoined twin boys. Said at one point when someone came up and said, you have two boys, the father jumped to my neck and he hugged me and he fainted and I cared for him, said Dr. Nassar Abed Ai, who was with the family for the marathon operation. He told me that he never dreamed of such a moment. He added that Ibrahim's wife, Sabah, was crying like everyone else. A bit later, we were told, the doctor said his feelings had ranged from moments of ecstasy to moments of concern and anxiety. Um, Swift, who was one of five pediatric neurosurgeons involved in the operation, described in unexpectedly difficult moments separating the left hemisphere of Muhammad's brain from part of Ahmed. So their brains were connected. Um, It was very, very stuck together. He said it was too early to tell what kind of neurological damage the boys might have, despite this rather chilling reminder that the ultimate outcome of the surgery cannot yet be ascertained. The report, as its title bears out, Twin Boys Begin New Lives After Successful Separation, presents itself as a success story, and yet the report itself contains the possibility of a counter-reading that enables us to see surgery as a vehicle to achieve normalization at any price, even if the boys' lives and or well-being are sacrificed in the process. For instance, at the end of the report, we are told that as conjoined twins, Muhammad and Ahmed smiled and giggled, babbled in English and Arabic, and tried to move. Perspectives International Postgraduate Journal Philosophy. Oh, what? Okay, sorry. That's a okay. <laughs> weird copy and paste happened. We'll just edit that out. It'll sound great. They tried to move around any way that they could, but experts had said that they were getting behind in their development compared with other children their age because they were unable to explore the world. When doctors concluded that a separation surgery was possible, the risks were explained to the parents. The boy's father told the doctors to go ahead, quote, if they're left this way, they're not going to be normal, end quote. So the way that they're viewing it immediately is like, it's a successful separation. They can start new lives when they don't even know how much brain damage they may have sustained and what their Mm -hmm. development looks like, even though they could laugh, giggle, communicate, babble beforehand and tried to figure out how to move. Mm -hmm. It was still the immediate like, well, it's possible to separate them. So we have to. And it's like, Mm -hmm. do you have to? Because their lives would look different staying conjoined but the surgery could like you don't know the impacts that it actually has right um and another ethical thing there's a set of conjoined twins in america abby and Brittany. have you heard of abby and Brittany? i feel like i have are they blonde girls yeah they're blonde girls they've done some like tlc yes uh, specials so abby and Brittany passed their driver's license test as individuals Yay! great for them they graduated college as individuals as two separate people very cool they both got degrees in early childhood education oh that's cool great they teach different classes they teach different subjects and they are only paid one salary because they're one person what yes no so even though legally they're two uh, from what I can tell online, this is not directly from them. This is from, like, news articles and other sources, so it's possible that it's inaccurate. But yes, because they're, like, technically the work's done by one person. I feel like so, that's illegal. <laughs> even though, the, right, and like, this is a disabilities right things, is we don't have the legislature to determine. Because honestly, oh I guess I, you know, I can't 
dictate how conjoined twins would identify. But I think conceptually, you have to agree. They are two different people. They if share They're teaching parts, two different classes and preparing two different, like, lesson plans. Like, what do you mean? Right? Like, what the fuck? I'd be so pissed. I'd also like to point out that in many places in the United States, it is perfectly legal to pay cognitively disabled people significantly lower amounts of money to work. So like $2 an hour. Yeah, no, we do legalize uh, not fairly paying disabled people. Um, I saw once where they're like, should we be allowed to pay less to disabled people? And somebody's like, I fixed your article, Tyler. Should businesses be allowed to discriminate against the most vulnerable members of our society? Where it's like, it's discriminatory. There's a huge thing. I think in another life, I would have ended up being a disabilities rights lawyer. Because it feels that way. Yes. I'm very, uh, yeah, <laughs> very knowledgeable I, about this. I did actually. So um, my one of my minors in college was deafness rehabilitation, yeah. which I absolutely hate the title of it um, because I feel like it's like weirdly like trying to like change fix deaf quote people. Unquote, deaf people are like fine. They're, fine. <laughs> they're totally fine. Trust me. Um, but that class basically i had to i did the minor because it was entirely disability studies and sign language so that's what it actually was i think it should have been like a deaf studies and not deaf deafness rehabilitation um nonetheless though i took a lot of courses on it i also think as someone with a disability i'm just very passionate about a lot of this because people just really love to treat disabled people like shit and like of course conjoined twins like they have a disability they have to do things differently their bodies were born a bit different um i think conceptually i would agree most with the argument that they are Two separate individuals who happen to share parts of a body and sharing parts of a body would likely end up being part of their identity together. And uh, you absolutely should have to pay them individual salaries if they're working for you. So, word. If anybody listening to this uh, is in charge of Abby and Brittany's salaries and has decided to pay them one salary instead of two, you should feel ashamed of yourself. I just, like, I'm still really disturbed about, I probably will be disturbed about this for, like, months to come. Right? It's have, like, intrusive thoughts about it. (laughs) Right? Hey, Abby. What are they? Abby and Brittany? Abby and Brittany. Hey, Abby Um, and Brittany fairly. Thank you. Yeah. Pay them. They're two people. Come on. I don't know why I should have to explain. Why why do people need to explain this to you? They're two people. Share and body I'm sure parts. they eat enough for two and they have like I don't know I'm not even going right. to try to come up with like logical reasoning because it should be very easy to understand but they have different brain right like they're, they're separate people they have personalities they have different degrees they have different things come on get together um so it, it is just an interesting ethical thing of like you know I think a lot of us think when we hear like, oh, they successfully separated conjoined twins. It's like, ah, great. But like, you're not really considering like, what is the push to do it? Right. Like why? And ethically speaking, whose decision is it? If it's and and I have, it? I think it's for other people's comfort. And there's like a pop culture thing that I'll get into in a little bit mm-hmm. that I feel like is very worth mentioning when it comes Absolutely. to this topic. Absolutely. Um, 
Just going to give you guys a brief history lesson to tell you once more about something unethical with a set of conjoint twins that demonstrates how psychologically different they can be. And also, uh, once again, we're going to bring in our good old friend, Super Unethical Studies. Super unethical. So twin research is actually vital to the medical and psychological field, particularly as it pertains to nature versus Nurture. The easiest way to figure out if things are nature versus nurture is if you happen to find a set of identical twins who started out with the exact same DNA and put them in (coughs) separate living situations, you'll see how similar they end up. So, like, valid point of research. Uh, Twins can be very helpful for research. I won't (laughs) discount that. Particularly, you know, you think even in medical trials, if they're identical twins and you have one on the medication and one on the placebo, you could get some very valuable data after this. However, you have to do it in an ethical way with full consent of the twins. Don't do what people have historically done. So, uh, I'm not going to go too deep into this um definitely i I feel like we need like like a big stamp where you know like those big like red stamps that you like stamp paperwork we need to just go through a bunch of research and be like you fucked up you fucked up you fucked up on all the unethical research just so it's like very clear we're gonna be the new irb it's just gonna be me and you judging you endlessly on our podcast being like you fucked up this is a hot mess you fucked it up um so this is one you'll probably many of you have heard of so i'm not gonna go too much also it's horrifying so we don't need to go into this but some of the most famous unethical twin research was done in auschwitz by joseph mengel uh so nazi scientists (laughs) the worst the worst people really um nazis literally the worst we, I think i'll most... go on record and say i'm not a fan <laughs> big yeah really dislike nazis and not afraid to admit it um so basically uh th- there was quotes from eva and miriam who were unwilling medical subjects in experiments exposed three thousand children at auschwitz broken out to disease disfigurement and torture under the guise of medical research into illness human endurance and more so eva uh, avia and miriam did survive and Ava okay. did talk in it about how like getting off the train platform at auschwitz and like people getting really excited that she was a twin and pulling them aside immediately oh. and like getting taken immediately. Um, they even have like a picture of the two of them that the Nazis took on the platform. And twins were separated from the other prisoners during the massive selections that took place at the train platform, whisked off to labs to be examined, usually use one twin as a control and subjected the other to everything from blood transfusions to force inseminations injections with diseases amputations and murder those that died were dissected and studied their surviving twins were killed and subjected to the same scrutiny oh my god yeah so they did a lot um there's also some stuff with twin studies in the history of eugenics like twins have been really unethically targeted 
And really what it comes down to, out of the 3,000 twins that were experimented on, only 200 survived the experiments. So the vast majority of them died. Um, And Ava actually has done, like, nonprofit work since then and really tried to do what she could to help. She passed away, I believe, at the age of 85. And, um, again, it's terrible what happened and it's disturbing so i don't want to go too into it that's the most famous unethical twin study there have been many others um so one other unethical twin study was done by soviet scientists um they were the conjoint twins of masha and dasha okay so masha and dasha's mother did not know she was having twins Because that used to be a thing, right? Being unaware. Uh, Spent two days and nights giving birth naturally. The doctors told her she delivered a mutant and she was not shown the babies. She was told that they died immediately. The the doctors are like, you gave birth to a mutant. And they died. That's what you Um, want to hear after giving birth. Right? So they were born joined at the waist at a 180 degree angle with two heads, two torsos, four arms, and one leg each. They had a third vestigial limb at their back that had some movement as well. So, she was told that they died. And then the scientists immediately took them to an institution where they lived. I to cannot. To be experimented on. Um, they were eventually reunited with their mother in adulthood. But, like, that's some dark shit. To think, right? like, your child died and it was a quote-unquote mutant. Right, and again, there's also plenty of other studies where, like, identical twins were purposefully separated at birth and not told about each other and experiment and, like, had scientists step up for years. There's some quotes from the twins who are like, this is so messed up. Because obviously if there is an other situation in which twins end up separated, like, that's Mm -hmm. a different situation. But purposefully separating twins and isolating them for the sole purposes of that... Not okay. That's unethical. Not okay. Yeah, super unethical. Um, but some of the interesting things with Masha and Dasha, um, they shared the same circulatory system, but had separate nervous systems. So they couldn't feel what the other one felt, but they shared their circulatory systems. Uh, they were all. They each had a heart. I believe, but they were just like everything was connected, basically, with their um, blood vessels. So the scientists were particularly interested in testing each twin's reaction or lack thereof to the other twin's physical distress. The experiments they conducted involved tactics like covering one twin in ice while the other would be observed with reaction uh, with extreme heat, painful stimuli, and even the injection of radioactive iodine. So just put one in a ton of pain and do this. Uh, They are also believed to have been electrocuted, had tubes inserted into their stomachs to measure gastric juices, deprived of sleep, particularly from birth to around 12 years old. That's not going to just totally tank their development or anything. Yeah. uh, So, Masha displayed psychopathic tendencies. You don't say. (laughs) Uh, But Dasha was an empath, so Masha um, would physically assault dasha quite a bit um like 
beat her up when she fell in love with a boy and like beat her up all this like terrible stuff um dasha attempted suicide at one point in time did not complete i believe because masha intervened dasha became an alcoholic in her adult life and because they shared a circulatory system that meant that masha despite never drinking was frequently intoxicated because their blood was shared and eventually they are the twins where um one of them passed away in there i think they died at 53 uh so one passed away and then the other they were like we need to separate you right now and Uh, you will die and we're like i will die so chose to not be separated um so i think again like it just goes to demonstrate like they are entirely different people like conjoined twins are two separate people they share a body they share things but that doesn't mean that they are the same and in this case you don't know um i would suggest given their development that more frequently masha who went on to display psychopathic tendencies was the one that was being tortured while dasha was the one that was being watched i would guess um but again just telling a parent that their babies died and then stealing their babies for research and there's been so much historical research that does involve just stealing a baby very much not okay you you, you can't do that no no um so lots of i know i briefly touch i'm sure i could do five whole episodes on ethical issues related to another topic that would be good in the future is like people who steal babies Ooh, baby stealers baby stealers yeah we'll do that okay Um, so yeah that's just some interesting kind of cases and discussions of unethical experimentation sorry for the downer um no i mean this is important information i feel like a lot of us don't know Again, twins are people. They're not that spooky. Why are we all being weird Why? about it? Come on. <laughs> what? Like... What? Well, and, and two, and I'll kind of go into more about this, um, but from, like, the spookier side, but from, like, the non-spooky side, it's weird that, like, twins are, like, so sexualized in culture, too. Right? I don't understand that at all. What the fuck? And also, like, yeah, that's not okay. And the thing is, really think about it. Like, okay, even, like, twin language and twin telepathy okay even if those are real that's not creepy it's just super nice that they have each other and care about each other that much like why are we making this a big deal like right like and like like sexualizing twins like that is just as weird as being like oh yeah like you and your sibling like ew stop (laughs) like it's just strange like what are we doing I don't get that. I mean, that's something I guess I could research, but I didn't. But anyway, yeah. Um, I did want to talk about why people get scared about twins. Why this is like a thing in like horror movies. Why um, people get like this like notion that twins are creepy. I was really interested in looking that up, and I found a really good article in Bustle um, by Dana Getz. So shout out to her for doing the research on this. Um, So it's called Why Do Twins Scare Us in Pop Culture? Um, So it's often assumed to share an insular insular closeness and an eerie similarity in both appearance and manner um, is what this is all based in. Um, So I think like the eerie similarity in appearance, um, I think, you know, it definitely reminds me of us talking about like Uncanny Valley kind of stuff and... 
um, just the thought of like, okay, like, is this real or not? You know, the, things are eerily similar. So it kind of starts there. Um, there's also this author named Karen Dillon, and she wrote The Spectacle of Twins in American Literature and Pop Culture. Um, so in her book, she refers to this phenomena really as uh, the double freak. Um, and in the 19th century, and this is like a really important thing, mm -hmm. P.T. Barnum began parading twins as circus freaks. And Francis Galton began experimenting on them amid the early eugenics movement, which Megan talked about. Um, so they became both a spectacle and a scientific aberration. So I feel like the P.T. Barnum thing um, and this kind of being part of like pop culture in terms of entertainment and circus stuff, that really kind of I'm trying to think of the word. It really dehumanized twins and it mm -hmm. made it more of like a spectacle um and it really you know I, I think it definitely perpetuates like to this day like people thinking of like twins or like conjoined twins like in the circus and things like that when it really it had no place there mm -hmm. um another thing that was mentioned was uh, horror is most effective when it feeds into our own subliminal fears and anxieties um, so identical twins are often used as a mora as moral allegories for our internal struggles between good and evil. So you hear about the good twin and the evil twin, um, or else portray an elevated sense of codependence and uncanniness that subconsciously disturbs our notion of individuality. So this calls back the notion of the shadow self, which we've talked about before, or the id, um, and this is talked about by Carl Jung and Sigmund mm -hmm. Freud, the idea that there is some unconscious, uncontrollable other self driving our thoughts, behaviors, and desires. So twins literalize the division between these two selves, forcing us to stare down the parts of ourselves we prefer not to acknowledge. Um, also, <laughs> in terms of the twins in The Shining, uh, an interview, uh, the interviewer interviewed um, Metropolitan University's horror film scholar Xavier Aldana Reyes, and she was quoted saying, it's likening to the feeling of having double vision. I think it plays into the film's focus on, is it really there or is it not there? Are we going mad? Mm -hmm. um, so that's just like another thing that I thought was interesting in terms of like horror and why it's used in horror films yeah so yeah i guess um just that like oh is, is this really happening am i seeing double uh i thought that was pretty interesting i also yeah i i i don't know why but i i find it really um damaging to twins just this the circus stuff that was happening mm-hmm Agreed. I mean, it's so much unethical stuff has been done with twins. And it's, again, they are people. There's yeah. nothing inherently creepy or weird about them. Right. It's like, is it interesting that there's two people that look exactly alike? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But some siblings look eerily alike. Like, I look a lot like my brother. Like, <laughs> you know. You do. Me and both of my siblings look eerily similar we're, we're very similar as well yeah but it's it's not scary it's mm -hmm. interesting and maybe that's like the reframe is 
it's not scary it's interesting yeah. like it intrigues me absolutely but yeah so yeah that's twins for you that is twins thank you for joining us to this uh i do love our reasons that the thing you think is creepy is not actually creepy episodes yeah. of spooky psychology it's like our non-spooky episodes debunking the spookiness of twins mm-hmm. maybe that'll be our title yeah we'll see that was that was definitely interesting um you know please send in our and uh your twin stories and telepathy was it telepathy twin telepathy yeah if you or twin language really if you're a twin and you have interesting stories just send them to us we like them. just send them i find it interesting we'll read them on the air why mm-hmm. not why not so yeah lauren do you have good shit mm-hmm. um trying to think my good shit uh, maybe you go th- first and i'll think okay so my good shit going on in the world was uh my office neighbor being super super great so i had a very dramatic moment this week and i won't get into the whole thing but basically my car is a push button start and uh, it's supposed to be impossible for it to lock with the keys inside the vehicle and i learned this week while it was eight degrees fahrenheit outside and nighttime and windy that apparently it's very possible for your keys to get locked inside your car and if your car is running because you were heating it up while you clean the snow off of your car uh your backup keys just won't connect to it because it's already attached to the other keys so i was locked outside of my car it was very very dramatic but my office neighbor uh who was there to plow apparently owns an auto body shop and sent some of his guys over to open up my car door which was very very nice of him so i'm very happy that uh, they came and got me into my vehicle and were just so sweet about it great guys so i that's the good shit is that they helped me get back into my car and they are wonderful they're absolutely wonderful so if you live in st that is good shit right if you live near st charles illinois Go to North Fifth Auto for all of your auto care needs. They're super, super nice people. So I will plug them if you happen to be in the area and need some work done in your car. Consider them. Give them a Google. Give them a Google. Give them a review. (laughs) Um, Oh, I have a good one. Um, I had a session with a kid client, and I don't see very many children clients anymore, um, but they... (laughs) <laughs> they opened like um like a slideshow that they made because they I guess they were learning how to make like Google Slides, and it was essentially like a Valentine's Day card they made me, and they're just like oh like thank you for helping like with my problems, and it was just like I was like literally like crying. <laughs> I was like this is so sweet, just because I I love kids that are so kind. And it's always nice to kind of hear that um, as a therapist, because I think a lot of times we don't always get like feedback of like how we're doing and we hope that we're helping them as much as we can. But actually like hearing that feels good. It is so nice getting like handmade cards from children i have in my file cabinet i have a folder specifically yeah for obviously for hipaa reasons like you can't display them but we do keep them i have some uh really 
I have one from a couple years ago that has me, and it was like, thank you for being my best friend, and I Aww. cried so hard. It was so sweet, so those yeah. are always really, really cute. And also, I too have had uh, the clients just show me slideshows about random stuff, where they're like, I I've prepared like a, a presentation, <laughs> and it's like, okay. <laughs> And and I've been rolling with it lately. Like we did like a slideshow on like how to choose like a healthy friend, and like we made like a slideshow about it, and it was cute and fun. But um, that's like a thing now, I guess. With like, therapeutic slideshows, yeah, it's just like a funny kid thing where they're like, "I'm trying to convince you this is a good idea. I've prepared a slideshow." <laughs> and you're <laughs> like, "You win." It's like, you "All right, share me. your screen. Let's walk through this." Yeah, make your case. Well, that is so cute. I'm glad you got a little slideshow Valentine. Yeah, that's precious. That's so cute. That's good. Okay. Well, well complete thank you, our guys. survey. It'll yeah. be linked in the episode below. And uh, rate, review, subscribe. Tell all of your friends, neighbors, coworkers, postal workers, whoever you see, really, to listen to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Yes. And thanks for getting spooky with us. Thank you. Bye. Bye.